But now, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Newhart. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, this is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, Abe, sweetheart. How are you, kid? How's Gettysburg? Sort of a drag, huh? Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? <laughs> you change you change four score and seven to to eighty seven. <laughs> I, I understand it means the same thing, Abe. Well, Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. <laughs> uh, well, Abe, it's sort of it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, "Friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you." <laughs> That, of course, is Bob Newhart from the quintessential Stop Bob, quintessential. <laughs> Bob Stop Newhart. It. Stop it. The Button Down Mind, uh, released in 1960. Hello, everybody. This is Jacques. I'm Joe. Well, welcome to Carnival Personnel Podcast. Sideshow. <laughs> Sideshow uh, regarding uh, the, the album that we just came into. 1960. A brand new comic busted onto the scene with that album, and it truly, truly, you know, in an era where where comedy and stand up comedy and Steve Allen and people actually went to comedy shows and the whole you know party album comedy phenomena was a thing. Bob Newhart truly came out of nowhere. Well, if you consider Chicago nowhere, and just turned the not comedy world but music world upside down with this album thoughts joe to to, to kick this off <laughs> well i'm just looking at the cover of the button down mind of bob newhart and at the very top it says the most celebrated new comedian since attila <laughs> uh, that's what bob newhart wanted the album to be called mm -hmm. he, he 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 lobbied really hard to be for you know attila the hunt and warner brothers said yeah, you're really funny. No, we're going with this. Yeah. And that is the sub-headline. Uh, so it might it, be the longest album cover. Uh, Bob, it's meant to be a grabber. <laughs> uh, so Bob Newhart was a CPA, I believe, with – I don't know if it's a registry of motor vehicles, department of motor vehicles, but in Chicago, whatever that entity is called, that's what his day job was. He was friends with a local radio disc jockey. Who had encouraged him to he – he knew some uh, talent scouts for Warner Brothers, like people you know, scouting the country for music and, and comedians uh, were coming to town. So Bob Newhart recorded you know, some bits for this guy to play to. And when Warner Brothers came in, they're like, you know what? Yeah, this, this would be great. Let's do a record. Let's, uh, let's record the next nightclub that you're doing. To which Bob Newhart said – uh, yeah, I've never done a nightclub. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> like next nightclub, <laughs> he hadn't. He wasn't a seasoned professional out there. They end up booking him. This was recorded in a nightclub in Houston just just weeks later. I mean, he literally was an overnight success. And I gosh, I don't remember exactly how old he was then. So let's say sixty years ago. He's what eighty five, eight, almost ninety now. Um, he's like almost thirty, right? You know. Yeah, so he's almost thirty. 
he hated being a CPA and it was boring and he did this on the side for fun, but like, you know, wasn't out there at night doing it. Um, just to, at, at home, they booked him this, they record it. It gets put out a couple weeks later and they thought, yeah, this could be like Bob Newhart says, you know, he thought it'd be a nice kind of introduction into the world of comedy. He could, you know, quit his day job and, and be a touring nightclub comic. Goes number one almost instantly. It stays number one for 14 weeks. Number one on Billboard for 14 weeks. And then it's still on the charts. And he does a follow-up album, which we really won't talk about, except uh, it was called The Button-Down Mind Strikes Back. And at one point, Button-Down Mind was number one. Button-Down Mind Strikes Back was number two. And the Button-Down Strikes Back was number one. The regular, the first one was number two. They were simultaneously on the charts for many, many weeks. Uh, so the 1961 Grammy Awards roll around for the albums released in 1960. He wins Album of the Year and he wins Best New Artist of the Year. And it's the first time that it's that's happened. It's happened five times total, but it's the first time it happened with Bob Newhart. And he, to date, is still the only Grammy Award-winning comedian for Best New Artist of the Year. Joe, could you list off some of the other artists of note who had albums up for Grammys that year as well? Oh, my God. From 1960? Yes. I'm going to say what? It had to have been like Frank Sinatra, Bingo. Uh, Perry Como, I don't know, Dean Martin, maybe Thomas Edison, I presume. I don't know. So so up for best album the same year, Elvis. Well, well the little guy of Elvis oh, in 1960. Yeah. Harry Belafonte's best-selling album of all time was released in 1960. Yeah, the guy Frank Sinatra had a brand new album that I think went on to be his second or third best-selling album ever came out. And are you ready for this? The Sound of Music soundtrack. Oh, the yeah. Acad- I mean, it wins the Academy Award. No, actually, this was in 19... 19- no, well, you're- the, the, the stage show was a smash hit. And that was came out in sixty or in in nine fifty nine or sixty whatever. The movie okay. didn't come out until sixty five. Sixty five. So so uh, the Tony Award winning, you know, probably won the Tony Award. Yes. I should look that up. Absolutely. But but it beats out the sound of music. You and I both heard, you know, him on the Conan O'Brien show like last year on the podcast talking about, and that's when Frank put a hit out on him. He goes, he goes, yeah, you know, it's like they only got me in the shoulder. They were like bad shots. He goes, but I didn't have my wife start my car for the next year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, on, on this past week's Carnival Personnel, you talked about it on our incredulous road trip. At one point in the 90s, we drove across the country listening to Weird Al, listening to a 1959 Woody Allen stand-up album. We wore out the National Lampoon, you know, radio hour. Yeah. But yeah, we, you know, we listened to this uh, several times. You introduced me to this. That was the first time you had heard it. Yeah. Because I'm a sheltered little boy. I was, I was a lad and it wasn't on MTV at the time. So I didn't know about it. But then, yeah, you were like, hey, you, you, you know who Bob Newhart is? And I think I said, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he, he was the guy that uh, helped Daryl and Daryl and Larry and <laughs> on that show. And right, that's when you would have made, right, right. Of course, that's when you would jump on board. Right. So then you played it for me. He's like, no, 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 he's really funny. Check this out. And it's like, oh my God, this is the greatest stand up routine I've ever heard. And his style, it's like, 
there's so many other comedians that you can, you know, you can say, yeah, Jim Gaffigan is in the same vein as a Brian Regan. Different senses of humor, different things, but you can put them in the same box, so to speak. You know what I mean? You can put like a Dice Clay in the same box as like uh, an Anthony Jesselneck, you know, the shock comic, the Sam yeah, Kinison kind of Sam Kinison. Bob Newhart. He literally at that time stood alone. You know, it's funny because, yeah, even he says, like, you know, he just grew up worshiping um, Jack Benny. You know, his delivery is so different. And so so I'm going down the track list of Button Down Mine. Yeah, I'm looking at it myself as well. Let's see. It's the phone call. It's the Abe Lincoln, fo- it's the Abe Lincoln phone Abe, call. Abe Lincoln versus Madison Avenue is the first track. Uh, the curse of the USS Codfish, which is the cruise re- of the USS Codfish. Cruise. It's a submarine that's about to surface after being underwater for two years, a nuclear sub to test. And this is the address that the captain is giving to the crew. And then you got like, you know, the right <laughs> merchandising the, the Wright brothers, <laughs> the Wright brothers, Khrushchev uh, rehearsal, which is just from the perspective of the producer. You know, the director producing the Khrushchev, the filming of the Khrushchev uh, getting off the plane. It was a ridiculous concept because it was like, okay, well, Khrushchev's landing at, at Idlewild Airport to visit the United States and meet with John F. Kennedy. Right, it was JFK. No, 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 it was uh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Uh, and, but, but, but the idea was, I just want to get into it a little well, bit. Well, that was John F. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the premise was that they must have rehearsed it for blocking. Right, <laughs> so, right. And then, and this then, is what it would have sounded like. Then you got uh, the driving instructor talking to the person who, an old lady who he's giving a driving lesson to, which did I send it to you? Did I send you? He, uh, Bob Newhart did it on the Dean Martin show. Yeah, and, and Dean, Dean Martin, Martin played the uh, the woman that he was instructing. And, and, and he, yeah, it, it, it's it's funny. So the sixth track, I think, I think Abe Lincoln is number two. And I think the, the, uh, nobody will ever play baseball. The call from Abner Dubberday to Parker Brothers. I think that is the bit that he is best known for as a stand up comic. It's I, a I mean, one and one A, as you would say. I, right. I, I think you and I would put Abe Lincoln ahead of it. I think we quote that more because we're, we like Abe Lincoln more than baseball, I guess. But the whole premise is here are six tracks where you are on one side of a phone call and all the jokes come from the person you don't hear the funny thing about like you know some of the stuff like the Wright Brothers stuff when it's the ad executives trying to find out like if you could put a bathroom on it and if you the whole idea between first class you know <laughs> get a little snob appeal in here <laughs> but, but my favorite thing and I was making management listen to this uh, last night is with baseball. At the time, in 1960, baseball is it. Like, the NFL starts in 1960, but as a recording of this album, the NFL didn't exist. Baseball is everything, you know? And even then, even in the height of baseball, here's Bob Newhart pointing out the absolute absurdity. Like, baseball didn't exist, and you're explaining. You never hear Abner Doubleday. You just hear the guy at Parker Brothers talking. And he's like, okay, so it's three strikes and an out and three balls a walk. No, four balls. 
Why four balls, Mr. Doubleday? No one's ever asked you before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the first thing is like, Parker Brothers, oh, hello, Mr. Doubleday. Oh, you have a new game to pitch. Oh, I see. Uh, how many couples? Uh, no couples. Okay. You got nine, nine, nine players on on each team. Okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, they just go down the ridiculous rules of baseball. And at one point, the ad guy at Parker Brothers, or the guy at Parker Brothers is just like, is this a rib? Is this, <laughs> is this one of the guys in the office? Like, what is this? Yeah, uh, you know, it's all, okay, what is fair? So you hit the ball, and if it's fair, you run to first base. What is fair, Mr. Doubleday? You have these two white lines. <laughs> you know, and, it, and again, I mean, you know, baseball is still up at that absurd. But it's, you know, it's, it's funny how, like, he, a half of this album is essentially an indictment or a look at how things that we normally revere are maybe manipulated to make it so that we revere them. You know, it's just like we revere right. Abraham Lincoln. You know, he's legendary. I mean, he obviously was assassinated. He was a great president, but was there a spin behind him? Like, did was there an image maker? Was he, was there marketing? Right. Was there a marketing machine behind it? Because, um, you know, Mad Men is based on Madison Avenue around this time. Like, ad executives were kind of getting into their swing of things. They, right. they were becoming tastemakers and giant makers. He references, and I forget the name of the book, there was a book that came out in 59 or 60, which a longtime ad executive had written that basically it was a tell-all book that it's like, this is how we fuck with you. This is how we manipulate you. And and so, yeah, it's all the whole takeoff of Abe Lincoln. I mean, and yeah, then, it's, it's Abe Lincoln versus Madison Avenue, merchandising the Wright brothers. Nobody will ever play baseball. Like, those are the titles of the tracks. And it's all about, right. like, this is all shit unless we can spin it in a way and market it in a way that'll make it appealing to the masses. And the the last line of the Abe Lincoln bit, it's, you know, his 1960 take on Anthony Jesselneck. It's like, you know, now, you know Abe, I, I'd love to come by and play bridge uh, on on Friday night, but no, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. Uh, why don't you, why don't you and Martha take in a play? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. What, too soon? But this, but this, again, so what this album did for him, a complete nobody, you had already mentioned it, you know, you know, Steve Allen show is huge and you have, you know, people out there, you know, the nightclub thing was a thing. And here comes a guy who I'm trying to think how Conan and that NPR thing that, you know, we listened to today was describing it. It's like. You called them sweat comedies back in vaudeville, the guys who were all over the stage, like running around looking for the joke and trying to enlist the audience to like, ha, huh, ha, huh, you see this? Ha, huh, you see what I did there? Ha, huh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, he made you come to the joke. He stood there and made you come to him versus you going and seeking the audience approval. One step he further, just, he made you fill in the joke. Right, right. And again, you know, like with his hero, Jack Benny, a lot of his genius came in the blank spaces, the looks, the pauses. Sometimes th there's no joke. It's just a pause and you fill it in. You know what I mean? The whole thing. It's like no one's ever asked you before. You know yeah. what I mean? And you can go off on it. It's like, yeah, why didn't it? Why didn't? You know, you've worked with me on my routine. It's like the economy of words, the economy of words. I mean, he could have spun why there's four balls and three strikes and why the different. Like, you could elaborate or enunciate. He just broke it down to 
no one's ever asked it before. You know? Well, it's almost like his co- his style of comedy was geared towards an audience that he probably regarded as on the same intellectual level as he w- might be. So right. he wrote comedy kind of geared toward that. Not a snobbish audience, just a smarter audience, not like the, the you know something that you play to the entire masses. Like not everybody's going to appreciate the humor, but a lot of people would it's and it's not the over the top you know uh milton burl dressed in drag kind of like ah he's making fun of you know this or like you know or racial humor you know it was nothing nothing no brow it was it was it was intellectual but funny stuff and it raised the bar of what stand-up comedy could be and it actually kind of made comedians be looked at as as purveyors of good taste at some point you know, the Amazon show that, that I really love, and I don't know if, how, how much you've seen of the Miss Maisel show, but in the first couple episodes, the Maisel show starts off where it's Miss Maisel's husband who wants to be the stand-up comic, and she's the loving wife who's supporting it. You know, he has a day job, but he's trying to go out at night, and she's like baking stuff to bribe the the woman who gives you time to go up on the open mics and try to like she would make like a whole pot roast so her husband will get a good time slot and he's up there doing bob newhart's routine and she doesn't know it she's a late 1950s housewife whose her whole job is to make dinner change the diapers, be loving and supportive and and look as nice as she can. And she did those things gleefully. And so she's being real supportive and then she sees like the Steve Allen show and sees Bob Newhart on it and she's pissed because she thinks Bob Newhart took her husband's act. And that's the whole thing. And like, you know, and one of the things is the husband's like, no, no, no. It's like, you know, that's how comedians start. Like they tell the same jokes or they, you know, borrow somebody's routine. But I make it different. I tell it I tell the jokes faster, you know? Yeah. And I and, and it's like, well, you know, which what's the the joke within the joke there is like that's the whole beauty of Bob Newhart is it's not rushed. And then, you know, she realizes what a hacky, shitty thing that is to do. And there's a few episodes later, she's a headliner and she is going into a club on an open mic to meet with somebody. And in the background, here's a different schlubby guy doing the same Bob Newhart baseball routine up there. Like, so even in a show. You know, 59 years later, you know, that started last year, the year before. And their opening episode, they go out of their way to pay homage, not just to Bob Newhart, but specifically this album and this routine. They went so Um, far as to do it anachronistically because it took place in 1958, two years before the album was released. But we won't dwell. Right. Eh. That's not what hyperspace looks like, Joe. (laughs) No, I, I thought the same thing. It's like, yeah. But yeah, that album with Bob Newhart, there isn't... A comedian who doesn't... I mean, it, it, it's a must-listen to. I like the old vaudeville guys. I love, you know, the Jack Bennys and the Milton Berle. And, and they even said that even on shows like The Golden Girls. You know, sometimes the most thoughtful comic or the most thoughtful comedy is in the blank spaces. Letting you fill in the blanks and stuff like that. It doesn't underestimate the audience. Which is great, you yeah. know. And, and maybe because he got in later and he was a CPA. He was a well-educated, thoughtful guy. You know, one day we will do a whole Bob Newhart sideshow where we'll talk about his best friend being Don Rickles, which is just the best story ever when he uh, tells Conan the story about 
Don Rickles, his wife meeting Don Rickles for the first time at dinner before seeing Don Rickles live and not being able to comprehend that it was the same person at dinner <laughs> that it was on stage. And the success story of this nobody who did this as a hobby and overnight you know, dream came true. You know, it's great. He wasn't he wasn't out toiling for years and Warner Brothers saw him at a club after doing a thousand shows or two thousand shows or ten thousand shows. You know, we had a friend who worked the radio station. It's like, yeah, we love to record this. And nobody in their wildest dreams would have thought that sixty years later, as of a couple years ago, it was still like in the top fifty selling albums of all time. Because Geeks like me come along, you know, 30 years later and buys it and introduces you to it. And then you go out and buy it. Yeah. I mean, but getting briefly back to the Miss Maisel thing, when I first saw that episode on Miss Maisel and I heard him doing the lines like, oh, my God, they're doing the Bob Newhart thing. It's like that moment when you saw, you know, uh, I don't know, like in like some movie from the 80s or 90s where it's just like, oh, my God, they're referencing something that my friends reference, but I've never seen reference on television before. And now it's getting its due. Well, yeah, it's getting its due. And it's uh, it's great. And I'm glad. I'm really glad to say, A, a Bob Newhart is alive and well. And, you know, he's lo- not lost his marbles. He still has a sense of humor. He's still revered. He's not a douchebag. And he's getting the adulation and the credit and the love from his peers while he's alive. And they're not, it's not like one of these tragic things like, you know, Chris Farley where, you know, everybody loved him, but he couldn't see it. And he was a tragic figure. And then, you know, posthumously gets, you know, uh, you know, all of these accolades but he's not around to, to yeah he's not going to the rock and roll hall of fame 20 years after he died yeah exactly like this well, he, right he's not a bur- he, he didn't burn out you know no uh, there's so many great out al- right there's so many great albums that you know that, that come out that do, don't do well that like 10 20 years later people are like oh wow or a movie you know citizen kane didn't do well when it came out it's a wonderful life didn't do well when it came out you know the beastie boys paul's boutique was a bomb it goes on to be like everybody considers this is when they were at their best this is it velvet underground same thing they be or pixies same thing they became a lot bigger 10 20 years after they were thing no but bob newhart in his day i mean i mean there's what 30 really great funny late night talk show people now you know what i mean you know between the people like john oliver who has a show once a week or, or samantha b but conan is like the biggest, like the longest running guy. He's the longest tenure guy since '93, and if he was putting together his Mount Rushmore, Bob Newhart might be two of the four people up there. The oh, way yeah. he talk, the way he talks about him, and he's just a fanboy. He's just like not uncomposed, but you can just see how much. And this is a guy who's interviewed every comic, who's worked with every comic that he's loved. Um, it's probably the thing that. Conan loves best about the position that he's been in. He's got to work with and get the respect from the people he loves. But the way he talks about Bob Newhart, it's Which, just wonderful. And you mentioned it on a couple of podcasts ago, I think, when Conan hosted the Emmys. Right. And he did that bit with, you know, we think that award shows nowadays are going too long and that speeches are just taking too much time. And uh, we have a solution for that. And that is in order to keep this show under three hours, 
We've put Bob Newhart in an airtight booth that has exactly three hours of oxygen left in it. And if this show goes over three hours, he will die and you will see it. And they bring out Bob Newhart. And again, it's just putting a, a spotlight on how beautiful Bob Newhart's persona is. And it, it, it speaks to everything about his comedy is that he doesn't say a word. Never gets out of the chair, never pounds on the glass. And listening to Conan talk about it, he came up with the idea... He got a meeting. He, you know, he's in New York at the time. The show's at New York, and he flies out to meet with Bob Newhart. And the whole thing is like, it's Bob Newhart, or we do something else. It's not like, okay, if Bob doesn't do this. Let's go down the list of who this will work with. And he's like, it wouldn't, it would not have worked without anybody else. And he thought he was going to have to have this long dinner lunch with him and, and really selling him on it. And he goes, they, they look at the menu, the order before the appetizer comes out. Bob's like. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Now, let's gossip. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> but but getting back to this album, it's just such a great story how it came together. And 60 years later, it's so G-rated. It's so family-friendly. Terms that didn't exist back then. But the whole process of a – like, you know, um, uh, John Stewart just did that movie. I don't know if it's come out yet where it's all about uh, – the campaigns are really not about the candidate. It's all about the people manipulating the, 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 the campaign managers behind the scenes and, and the press and stuff like that. The whole marketing thing with the Wright brothers or still to this day – either kids or old people getting their license for the first time. I mean, how undated is the driving instructor thing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a subtle subtle women can't drive undertone. Oh, no, there's nothing subtle about it. At least there wasn't an Asian woman. That's just, right, <laughs> kudos. Right. But this album, again, you know, go, going down the... And, and, and the, same, the same thing, you know, with the submarine. It's... It's jokes that even, you know, you're not on the Navy, you would still get, you know, it's like it, they were still so broad stroking. In, uh, in, yeah, in a, in I, a good I, way. I mean, with my, to kind of be a hack about it, and since we're quoting the album anyway, one of the ones that stand out to me for that bit about the USS Codfish is the captain saying, um, now, I know that the, the crew here has been a, um, a little ornery and we've had some stressful situations, but... I want you to know that you can always come talk to me. I, I have an open-door policy. And if anybody can tell me who took that door. <laughs> right. It's, it, it's hokey, but it, but it lands, and it's still, you know what I mean? No, I love it. And I, I can't imagine any of my friends or your friends who accidentally listen to us don't know this album, but literally go to go to YouTube – you know, take a few minutes. There's no way you haven't heard the ape Link or parts of the ape Lincoln thing or parts of the the double day thing. I just can't imagine living in a world where you don't know it. And and the Khrushchev thing is just it, it, Khrushchev may be the most dated portion. It, yeah, because you really have to know history at the time and the Cold War. But the absurdity of having Khrushchev go through. The blocking of the re the landing, you know? right? It's a dual landing before the landing. It's just so stupid. Only for television, solely for the TV portion. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, zoom in on him. Uh, which one? Y yep, with the one with the suit, the gray suit. 
looks like he slept in it. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. That, uh, t- tell him not to skip with the girl, Jerry. It, it just doesn't look right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but the album is still great. It's thoughtful. It changed comedy. It brought Bob Newhart to our world as a whole. And I can't imagine a world without Newhart or Bob Newhart. Or heart to heart, which he had nothing to do with. But either way, or else you right. Thank you. But when you think of all the greatness that he is, it starts. It starts there in 1960 with the most celebrated new comic since Attila the Hun, <laughs> the bu- the button down mind of Bob Newhart. Yeah. So go out and um, get it. Get the LP. Like I know that it's kind of hard to strawberries, right? Or you know. <laughs> Just break into somebody's house. I'm sure that they have it. You know, just keep breaking into houses until you stumble <laughs> upon whoever owns this album and just play it. I think I wonder. No, I don't have that LP, do I? No, I don't. I, so it's funny because it's like you know we've talked many times. Like one of the few possessions that you know my dad left behind was a stack of comedy albums. Oh. He was really, and that was it. So I, I am, I'm, I'm six, seven years old digesting. Bob Newhart, uh, you know, other comics and stuff like that who didn't go on to be rapist. But uh, uh-huh. but yeah, the button down mine, when, when I think of my favorite albums of all time in the comedy realm, and that's saying a lot, like not compilations, not bits, not routines, but the, the albums, it, it is. It's that Woody Allen one that we had talked about from 59. It's Why Is There Air by Cosby. Probably <sighs> Wild and Crazy Guy. Let's get small. Mm-hmm might be uh no no i'm trying to think of it if it's wild and crazy guy what was the one where I, I, on one side it's him with the white like the danny terrio Saturday night fever and on the other side the back of it it's him with the banjo it's like the the you know it's oh right, yeah you know the album I'm talking about but but literally the button down mine is it it it, it honestly is the one album which since joe pointed out to me the other day I've listened to it a couple times, like like start to finish, which, like you said, let's see, this podcast right now is 30 minutes long and counting. The album is 29 minutes long. So <laughs> you, you you texted me today. We will talk about the album more. The, the runtime of the sideshow will be longer than the album. Challenge accepted. <laughs> well, that's because we're getting in-depth with uh no we're not we're just we're, we're just uh piecing together bits that we've kind of heard and we're kind of regurgitating uh, because we're we're just not as funny as bob newhart nor should anybody be a, uh, who is yeah you know yeah i mean if you haven't heard it uh, shame on you but thank goodness we live in a world where you can turn off my yammering and joe stammering and go to youtube and and just download the button down mind or the button down mind strikes back again fantastic uh, i i think it's it's you know the sequel wasn't as good as the original it's not the empire strikes back to star wars but it's still pretty effing awesome yeah and by the way and i just want to end that this album i i don't know if i mentioned it already but we i will always associate this album with our friendship because you introduced me to it on that road trip that incredulous cross-country journey that we took back in 1997 when we had uh, stars in our eyes and uh, feet on the ground and uh, so so this album's uh this is the 23rd anniversary album for you, for you. <laughs> yeah 23 years well I'm not going to go cry after watching or listening to this podcast. Um, well, thank you for listening. Um, 
Joe, thank you for indulging me on a second recording in a week. Uh, I'm enjoying these sideshows because these ones actually seem to uh, be enjoyable for you to do, which is always makes it when, when it's like, hey, let's do a sideshow on this. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I get excited when it's like, yeah, I guess fine. More time with you sucks. And then I have to go talk to my family who says, oh, more time with you sucks. <laughs> Maybe you know, it's a you thing. Maybe they have to look into you. You know, I don't have to sit here and be talked down to by you, Joe. I can go right upstairs <laughs> yeah. and have my 10-year-old <laughs> tell me what a piece of shit I am. Uh, but thank you, Joe. Thank you. And uh, any last thoughts? Yeah, I'd have to say um, don't um, forget. <laughs> Is this a rib? <laughs> Is, is this one of the guys in the office? <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> Mr. Double A, uh, that's, that's the most complicated game I've ever heard in my life. For, forget it. <laughs> right. Uh, Mr. Double A, listen though. You come up with anything, two, three couples, you'd be sure and let us know, huh? <laughs> All right, Mr. Double A, I'll be talking. Bye.